When someone says DNA, what does that mean to you? Do you think of its full title, deoxyribonucleic acid? Or do you think of it as the common thread that connects all of us? Or maybe you think of recipe books and chapters. So you can kind of think of the genome as the DNA instruction manual, the recipe book, and then that's divided into chapters, which are the chromosomes, like you said. And then on those chromosomes, in those chapters, you've got recipes. Those are the genes. As science journalists and communicators, we often make assumptions about what people think when we talk about things like DNA. Assumptions that we rarely back up by just listening. Not emotions and, and, and data, like who should be... But with common threads, that's exactly what we want to do. We want to listen. We also want to experiment with how science journalism is usually done. Usually, the voices we hear are not of the people who might be affected by new discoveries, but of those who made them. What if we flip that on its head? What might we hear then? People's differences make the world an interesting and wonderful place. If we were all the same, it would be very boring and quite pointless, really. My daughter's got an extra chromosome, and I would absolutely delete that. And it's not to change her, it's to change that extra chromosome that holds her back. In this series, we're talking to five groups around the UK about gene editing. Because despite the fact that different gene editing techniques have been around for a while, there is a new technology called CRISPR, which could have major implications for people with genetic conditions. With CRISPR, we may be able to remove the genetic causes of these conditions for generations to come. But amongst the groups we met, this technology also raises fundamental questions about what makes us who we are. We began this project over a year ago, and after much deliberation, we found five groups to visit. Science students in London, members of the farming community in Cumbria, people of black, African and Caribbean origin in Birmingham, parents of children with additional needs in Hertfordshire, and an organisation for young people in Manchester. Um, so, um, so welcome everyone to uh, Reform Radio's Makeshift something or other at the moment, wherever we may be this week. Um, we're just having a new studio build, so hopefully, if you ever come to see us again, we'll be in that next month. Um, so I'm Gemma, I'm a director at Reform Radio here. Um, it's run by me, Rach... And, and from our side, our project collaborators from Involve, a team of journalists from The Guardian, and me. Um, so I'm Steve, I've come up here from Cambridge. Um, I work at a research institute um, that works on DNA... Um, working with researchers and helping them to talk to different people about what they do. So just to be clear, I don't work for The Guardian, but I was there for most of the sessions we did. On top of that, I'm not a science journalist. But this project was about bringing the public and science closer together, which is something I do as a science communicator. And that's why it's my voice you'll be hearing over these next three episodes. So, just because today it's all about genetics, I thought it might be just quite fun for you to see your own DNA. This is Bella Starling. She was there to lead the conversation. So, um, if you want to come forward, we can do this. But you don't have to do it if you don't want to. Abu, can Gemma do it with you, or how would you like to do it? And that's Abu, who has a visual impairment, so needed a little bit of help from Gemma. (laughs) This is a really simple experiment. 
and one we started quite a few of our sessions with. The idea being that before we started talking about DNA, we would try and extract some of our own so we could see it. All you need is some water, which you swill around in your mouth. When you really can't do it anymore, just spit it out into the... <laughs> some table salt. Yeah. OK, take a little pinch of the salt. Some washing up liquid. Then what this is like, this green stuff. So I've got a boot, I've got some green stuff in a tube. Okay. And it's really technical. It's called washing up liquid. Oh. OK. <laughs> and some ice cold alcohol. So what the alcohol would do is it, it brings the DNA. At the moment, the DNA is all mixed up in this water, soapy water. And what the alcohol will do will just bring the DNA, just the DNA, out of that solution so you'll be able to see it. Why that colour? Sorry? Why to the colour? Well, you might see like this little thread, it's a bit like, actually, to be honest, it looks a bit like spit, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be like fluffy clouds, hopefully. Okay, do you want to show how it's done? Right, so you need Whilst this experiment didn't always work, at least some people got to see their DNA, helping to start the conversation and also make it more personal. But for the chats group in Hertfordshire, which supports parents of people with additional needs, DNA and genetics was already very personal to them and their families. Hey, my name's Angela. I'm a full-time carer. I have three boys, a 22-year-old, a 19-year-old and a 13-year-old. My eldest has epilepsy and more direct learning difficulties, um, as well as helping Joe run the support group. I'm also a governor at the local school. Um, on behalf of Chats, I'd like to welcome everyone here today to this special meeting. I'd like to welcome the new carers who have joined us specially for this event. Um, Chats has been meeting since 2003, and I can safely say we've never done anything like this before, completely new to us. Um, we've never had a science lesson today, we've never had been recorded today, and we've never had anybody provided us lunch today. So that's a, that's a first for us. Thank you very much for that. There was also Lucy. Hi, um, my name's Lucy. I have three boys. My middle son, Luke, has autism, uh, severe learning difficulties and a new diagnosis of catatonia. Um, and I'm full-time carer for him. Um, I also um, volunteer at a local carer's charity two days a week. Hi, I'm Jane and I'm a parent to three children. Uh, my oldest son is 16 and he has a chromosome abnormality. Uh, called 22Q11 deletion syndrome. I'm also a parent to 14-year-old twins, one of whom has a gene issue called CMT1A, and that's one of the reasons why I'm here today. Uh, and that's it. I sadly don't do very much other than caring. The interesting thing is you've all got experience, you've all got knowledge. Um, so what we're trying to do is we're going to talk a little bit about DNA um, and a horrible word, genomics, which some of you may have heard of, some of you maybe haven't, um, but also sharing your knowledge, help each other through, so as we kind of get to the same sort of point before we get into the nitty-gritty of some of the detailed discussions. So some of you have talked about caring for people with chromosome abnormalities. Um, I suppose, what does that mean to you? What, does, what is a chromosome? Does anyone have a definition? No, I, I was just, you told, I asked the question to Jane about half an hour ago, yeah. and she said... <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> no, no we were talking about the difference between, between gene a gene and, and a, a chromosome. chromosome. And I... You said that 
Well, I know that there's lots of genes on chromosomes, but I have to say my level of science. <laughs> that's it's limited. It. No, that's it. I gave up science in year nine. <laughs> <laughs> I had limited knowledge, very limited. Michelle was also there that day. And I've got two children. Um, my son's 12, my daughter's seven, and I'm a teaching assistant as well. And I also run a children's contact centre. I believe there's 23 pairs of chromosomes, of which within those chromosomes are genes and DNA. You don't need me. <laughs> you all know it already. Yes. <laughs> So yeah, so we're going to talk about DNA, um, we're going to talk about genes, we're going to talk about chromosomes, um, and basically all of that stuff collectively is known as a genome. So a genome is all the DNA instructions um, for making an organism, making an individual. Um, and that genome is divided up into chapters, if you like. So you can kind of think of the genome as the DNA instruction manual, the recipe book, and then that's divided into chapters, which are the chromosomes, like you said. And then on those chromosomes, in those chapters, you've got recipes. Those are the genes, okay? And those genes code for the machinery in us that helps us to function, live. So, for example, the genes code for proteins that might digest our food. We've just had a nice lunch. Those proteins are coded by our DNA, okay? So within that genome, that DNA instruction manual, you've got these recipes for those proteins that digest your food. Does that kind of make sense? So like we said earlier, DNA is that instruction manual made up of different chapters or chromosomes. Usually you have 23 pairs of those chromosomes, but some people might have an additional chromosome. So trisomy 21, Down syndrome, is because of an extra chromosome 21. And then on those chromosomes, you've got genes, and those genes code for the machinery in you. So you've got 23,000 genes in 3.3 uh, billion letters of DNA that makes up your genome. So you inherit half of your genome from your mother and half from your father. So that's why you have 23 pairs, because you've got half from your mother, half from your father, okay? Now there's variation in that. It's basically one in every thousand letters is different between us. So although we're all the same species, we're all closely related because we're all humans, there are some differences and it's that variation that explains the differences between us. So it might be why we have different hair colour, different eye colour, is due to different letters in our DNA. But all DNA is made up of four letters, A, C, G, and T. So just like the alphabet that we use to write is made of 26 letters, DNA's alphabet is made up of these four chemical letters, adenine, cytosine, guanine, and thymine, A, C, G, and T for short. Okay? So that's what the instructions are written in. So what we're going to do is we're going to do a very quick little test. It's these differences in our DNA that help to differentiate us as individuals. Obviously, it's not all down to our genes, but our identity, or at least part of it, can be found in these A's, C's, G's and T's. And that's how we started all of our sessions. But something else we wanted to do was to try to humanise this science. So for each episode, we revisited someone who we'd met in the sessions. 
It's something which took our producer back to Hertfordshire to visit the home of Leon. Hi, Leon, how are you? I'm Max. And his mum, Sarah, from our chats group. Thank you so much. I'm Sarah. I have two children. Uh, My daughter, Amy, is 27. And I have a son who is nearly 20 and he has Down syndrome. Do you want pastrami or beef? I love both. Well, our day is probably not that much different to any other average family. Uh, We get up very early in the morning, about six o'clock. And because Leon has type 1 diabetes, he first of all has to do the procedures he needs to check his blood sugar level. And then we have a remote control system for his insulin pump. We're currently trying to support him to improve his independence skills so at the moment he's helping out with making his meals and when we're in a bit of a rush I'll do a little bit more but if we've got enough time then he is able to um, to do what he needs to do to get his breakfast ready he then gets dressed brushes teeth and he's ready for college at college he's doing a course that is specially for people with learning disabilities it has things on it like functional skills work skills and independent living skills however he's been on that course now for four years and I don't actually feel that it's brilliant he would much prefer to be doing a subject of his choice like music Uh, Leon's an excellent musician really is a good drummer and he should be able to do a level one course in music but unfortunately those sort of courses are not available for people. Leon is a really friendly and loving person and to most people he will always be open and very very friendly you know actually giving strangers hugs and telling them that he loves them. Uh, so he can be over-friendly. Um, however, there, are, there is another side of him, and that is a quite a stubborn way. And a lot of people with Down syndrome do have that. And I think it stems from having their lives controlled all the time and um, people having to do things for them and help them so much. So therefore, they feel that they're being surrounded by people telling them what to do. As a result of that, he's become, or, you know, a lot of people with Down syndrome do become quite angry and can that can come out in a very stubborn way of thinking or way way of behaving. So quite often I will ask Leon to do something and he will immediately say no before he's even really listened to what I've said he's got to do. Um, And at the moment we've got the sort of teenage, young person's mentality coming through as well as his learning disability, which means that life can be quite difficult when we are constantly having to tell him what he needs to do and he is constantly trying to resist. Wow. That really good. It sounded amazing. So you... I mean, I didn't do anything, though. Oh, yeah. Um, 
I had some testing when I was pregnant that said that the pregnancy was absolutely fine and it told me that there wasn't a risk, a high risk. However, when he was born, it was apparent straight away that um, that he had a difference about him and we were told 24 hours later that he had Down syndrome. Uh, it's a very difficult time. I'm lucky that I had a lot of support around me, um, but I did ha didn't have any understanding of learned disabilities or Down syndrome, so there was a lot to learn. Um, the hospital gave me a leaflet, and while that was helpful in some ways, there was a lot more information that I could have done with at the time. As I discussed with our group in Hertfordshire, Down syndrome is caused by an extra chromosome, or chapter, which can lead to both behavioural and physical symptoms. So what would happen if we were able to go into those chapters and change them? In the future, scientists might be able to do that using gene editing. If you remember, your genome, or the recipe book for you, is made up of four chemical letters, A, C, T, and G. And the code, or recipe, that they describe is itself organised into chapters or chromosomes, C, T, G. What gene editing allows us to do is go into that recipe book, the genome, and change those letters, G, to delete them, and in some cases, replace them with other letters, C, T, C. And while scientists have been able to alter DNA with other technologies for decades, CRISPR, which is originally from a bacteria's immune system, is the new kid on the block. One approach matches up CRISPR with an enzyme called Cas9. The most common analogy used for this approach likens the tool to targeted molecular scissors, meaning it can be used to make edits. And importantly, it can do this with accuracy and efficiency. I should say that CRISPR-Cas9 is still in its early development and concerns around it still remain. These include what are known as off-target effects, where edits happen away from the section of DNA that's meant to be changed. But despite these concerns, with potential applications that include curing hereditary disease, many have labelled the technology one of science's most exciting breakthroughs. Um, I'm really, really excited because my son has CMT1A, which is Charcot-Marie-Tooth disease, which is a peripheral nerve disorder. That's Jane again from our chat session in Hertfordshire. So it means basically he doesn't have much feeling in his hands and feet. He, is, he displays as being really, really clumsy. And I have heard that perhaps in the future there could be some editing. So firstly, he probably has a 50% chance of passing it on to any children he has. Um, and also for the future, I've been reading about adults with this condition and how many operations they have to undergo, etc., etc. So for me, if something could happen to him to perhaps correct some of this or so that at least he doesn't have perhaps the severeness that some of the other people have because some end up as wheelchair users, that would be brilliant for him and his life. 
If gene editing could change my life and the disabilities I have in my family, I would go all the way for it. However, we do live in the world of gravity. Unfortunately, negative takes away positive and therefore you're taking risks. Esther was from our group in Manchester and has a visual impairment. Like with technology, like with everything else in science, and it's a massive risk to take. Like I said, they're still testing on mice for the past 10 years on sight impairment, the same that I've got, and there's no answer and it just feels very painful and very stressful and there's no answer yes or no answer no to what's happening so if they can change DNA and they can change gene editing they can go for it but just the sooner the better is all I say. Now my son has sickle cell we test this on him it may not be a positive but it could be a positive. This is Shamara a nursery nurse and mother from our Birmingham session. My father has sickle cell. He's had to have veins ripped out. He has blood transfusion every month. I'm sure he would love to try this, to not go through that, and for his grandson or his great-grandchild not to go through this. It may be excellent, but it may not. At the end of the day, life is just like that, and if we fight every new thing that comes about, we will never know what could come about. So at the end of the day, we have to try something to learn and improve for the next generation. We can only think about ourselves and our children, but what about then? What about if my son has a child and they have sickle cell? This is great to know what they could possibly have that my father didn't. Like, my father's 50 and praise God that he's still alive, but that's through kidney transplant, um, ripping a vein out of his leg to put in his arm. That's through having um, eight units of blood every month, and that's touch and go if he actually gets that. This could stop that. But not everyone in our sessions was so positive about using genetic technologies. Leon's mum, Sarah, was part of our chat session. I work as an expert by experience, as a parent representative on various learning disability groups and boards and, um, and on people's care and treatment reviews when they're locked up in secure hospitals because of their learning disability. I suppose I'm concerned that um, because of recent tests that have been invented, um, people are being given the opportunity to abort their baby on the strength of these tests, which means that they wouldn't have conditions such as Down syndrome. Um, and as a parent of somebody with Down syndrome, I would be very sad to think that, um, that people with Down syndrome would no longer be born because I think, you know, they've got their own personalities and quite often they're lovely people. And just because they've got a learning disability doesn't mean to say they can't be... Contributing to society and be lead meaningful lives. How do you feel? Do you feel happy? Do you feel excited? Do you feel emotional? What do you feel? Um, I feel working in the world and it, that was a pretty amazing. My mum, you know, I love her. So life with somebody with Down syndrome is fantastic in some ways and difficult in other ways. Amazing. It makes you feel amazing. Amazing. mother. Our lives are different than they would have been if Leon hadn't had Down syndrome. I know that. However, there are fantastic things that have happened because of it. 
we have made some amazing friends and met other families with people with disabilities. We have learnt so much about the, uh, the differences in the world and seen the joy and pleasure that that the that the small things can bring. We might not be able to celebrate the day that our child gets married and has a baby and has a, a career and a normal life. But we're still able to celebrate that our child can be loving and caring and kind and generous and don't judge people like many of us do. What my headphones for? Yeah. So I can hear, but look. So now if you talk... Yeah. You can hear yourself, right? Definitely I would. There are many things we can learn from, from Leon. His way of accepting other people is fantastic. His sense of humour is amazing and his attitude is something we need to learn from. There is a, a lack of materialistic attitude among people with Down syndrome. Um, they have no... A lot of people with Down syndrome don't have a concept of time. So to him, he, life is just something that happens day to day and maybe we need to learn something from that and not be tied down by the limitations that our lives around time and money and all these superficial things that we believe in. For somebody with Down syndrome, what they care about most of all is being loved and loving people, caring about people and being kind. Um, yeah. Yeah, being kind. I think society needs to learn to value people by screening people out. We are saying that they're not worthy of being alive. And that is very sad. We need to have more acceptance of people's differences and encourage people to be different. If we go down the route of deciding who should and shouldn't be alive in this world, then we are playing God, and I don't think we have a right to do that. And we would be losing so much because people's differences make the world an interesting and wonderful place. If we were all the same, it would be very boring and um, it would be a little bit like battery farming. <laughs> That's the only way I can describe it. Um, why would we want everybody to be perfect? It just, it just doesn't make sense.
I would just say that, um, from my point of view, from for specific medical conditions, so, for example, my daughter has epilepsy, if there was something that could be changed to make that go away, then I would jump at the chance. Um, but when it comes to the learning difficulties and the autism, it's much more of a grey area and much more morally difficult. But I think for a, a you know something that's affecting your brain... Um, that is actually has a you know is a medical condition, and then I feel more positive about the um, implications for gene editing. Actually, my son has severe learning difficulties, so he doesn't have capacity to make any decision for himself. So I am his voice, and I would say that would I change him? I'd say that he's very happy in his skin. The only person that has suffered because of him is me. I'm his primary carer. He's hard work and he drains every ounce of energy from me on a daily basis. Would I change him if I could? No. I think my view is rather different to most people's and I think a lot of people find my view quite offensive, so I do apologise if it offends anybody. My daughter's got an extra chromosome and I would absolutely delete that. And it's not to change her, um, it's to change that extra chromosome that holds her back. Um, that gives her the medical and the the learning aspect, the lack of sleep with her sleep condition with it, um, any potential seizures. It also has um, sudden death syndrome linked in with that condition. Uh, the speech delay, the physical ability to be able to climb, run, jump, walk, um, to be able to communicate. If I could take all of those away, I don't feel I'd be changing her I'd be changing the things that are holding her back so a lot of people have the view of I wouldn't change my child at all and I can see that point of view but I see it as I would be changing the things that are holding her back from who she really is so I would jump at the chance to remove yeah. that extra chromosome yeah I agree with you on that completely mm -hmm. that's where I'd be and it's really it's such a sensitive subject mm -hmm. um, because you know, she's adorable and she's wonderful and she's happy. But I know if she was able to climb those stairs freely and safely, she'd be a lot happier. If she was able to sleep a substantial amount of time without medication, she would be able to function better. And obviously with the epilepsy and all of that linked in with the condition, you know, these children would be able to live a much more fuller life and not so challenging for them on a daily basis. Because although it's hard for me as a carer I always look at it it's a million times harder for them in their shoes it's important to say here that for these kinds of condition a specific type of gene editing called germline gene editing would in theory be needed we'll hear more about this in the next episode but importantly these theoretical changes would have to be done at the very earliest stages of an embryo. I've been um, with my three boys on my own for 17 years and we've been a very close family unit. My other two boys, because my son um, special needs is sandwiched in the middle, they are two very special young men that have had a difficult um, journey and has moulded them into people with great empathy and understanding and they're lovely individuals. 
and I wouldn't have said that they think that their brother has been a hindrance in their upbringing. I think it has embra they've embraced it. And for me personally, I've met some amazing people along my journey, some proper people, some people with substance and some people with, with understanding and, and high morals and, and hardworking, grafting uh, a lot of hardworking mothers who are stalwart in the community and take their caring responsibilities very seriously. And I'm comfortable in those environments with those people. I'm happy where, where we're at at the moment as a family and striving forward to make um, some improvements currently with difficulties we're having, but um, I'm up to the challenge and not giving up any time yet. So, yeah. I think we also need to think about whether or not we should be changing the person for the world or whether we should be changing the world for the person. This tension between changing the world for the person or changing the person for the world maybe isn't quite as binary as this. Society should be more accessible and welcoming for everyone. But at the same time, gene editing does have the potential to alleviate suffering for those with genetic conditions and could vastly improve their quality of life. As our chats group showed, though, there are many different viewpoints about whether gene editing is what's really needed. Well, he's done his finger prick and we've programmed his insulin and now he's going to make a roll with some beef and salad cream or hummus? Um, <laughs> I don't really remember. You don't remember. I'm hoping that the future for Leon will be wonderful. I would love him to have a girlfriend or a wife. I, he, he will be living independently. He would have opportunities to do his drumming and share his music skills with everybody to perform on stage, which he loves to do. For him to have friends and family that live close by, but also to have the right support in place. For him to continue to learn and eventually get a job that he enjoys doing, a paid job like everybody else. For him to carry on being active in his community and enjoying life, which is what we want for everybody. There are no easy answers here. And this is why we undertook this project, to explore these nuances and to hear the concerns and hopes of people we often hear little from. Identity was just one common thread that came up in our sessions. And in episode two of this series, we'll be exploring power. Because if scientists hold all the power of knowledge about CRISPR, what role, if any, can and should the public play in these conversations? I think they should play a role, yeah, of course. I mean, we, we live in a democracy. I don't feel that they can contribute when they haven't got the experience or they haven't got the knowledge. Common Threads was presented by me, Steve Scott. It was produced by Max Sanderson, with original music and mixing by Pascal Wise. Executive producers were Shanida Scotland and Catherine Godfrey. Our commissioning editor is Lindsay Poulton, and our editorial consultant is Alok Jar.
If you want to find out more about the work done by the Chats support group, head over to chats. That's C-H-A-T-S-S dot org dot UK. And if you've been affected by any of the issues raised here, there is support out there. For instance, Mencap, a charity that creates a safe and supportive space to talk about learning disabilities. To find out more, head to Mencap. That's M-E-N-C-A-P dot org dot UK. Links to both those organisations will be included in the episode's description at theguardian.com. And we'll also include a list of all the conditions mentioned in this episode, with details on where you can find out more about them. We would like to say a massive thanks to everyone who attended our sessions, as well as our local coordinators, Eloise from iGEM, Nick in Cumbria, Anita in Birmingham, Bella in Manchester and Angela in Hertfordshire. Thanks also to Simon, Dom and Lizzie at Involve, as well as Emily Glazier, who helped us coordinate the groups. We would love to hear what you think about gene editing, as well as any feedback you have on the series. Send us an email to podcasts at theguardian.com. This series is supported by The Wellcome Trust. To find out more about the project, head over to theguardian.com.